The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet, the week two college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson gearing up for a major showdown in Fayetteville between Arkansas and Texas. How are you feeling on this fine Thursday evening? Nervous? Excited? Woo-pig suey! Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus, where we're going to spend the next three hours covering hogs and horns, the old Southwestern Conference rivalry. Richard Nixon going to the game of the century in 1969. Arkansas going down in 2003 with Matt Jones and Cedric Cobbs to blow Texas out of the water in their own house. Down horns. This rivalry has been going on way before I was born way before my 88-year-old grandmother was born. This is a huge week in my neck of the woods. Uh, I had $4 million on you saying Southwest Conference in the first uh, 30 (laughs) seconds of me bringing up that game. Any thoughts on that game right off the bat? Yeah, I think there's some things going on with the team that that might explain some of the, I guess we'll call it rustiness. Sam Pittman wants to call it a rustiness. We'll call it rustiness. I think there are some explanations as to why there were 13 penalties, why the game was, you know, so terrible uh, from an execution standpoint with the Razorbacks. And and we'll see if they can resolve that this week. Are you going to have a a play on the game? Yeah, I took an under 57. Sark is not a fast tempo. Uh, Pittman and, and, and Barry Odom, they know exactly what it is that Sark wants to do. Barry Odom is a joke. We will have a spy on Robinson the entire game. Now, whether that's Grant Morgan or Bumper Pool after he comes back from a targeting, we'll figure it out. And then if you look at the other side, yeah, we have execution issues. Uh, KJ Jefferson uh, saved our skin. And then there's the curious case of Traylon Burks. Now, this is a guy, All-American list all over the place, proclaimed to be hurt through a little bit of training camp. Uh, Injury was never specified. He came out and posted some terrible numbers against Rice. One rush for negative two yards. He had nine targets, only caught five balls, not a lot of yards, two drops with very uncharacteristic. And then the one thing that we're not used to with Traylon Burks is he created three missed tackles. And that number should have been way higher. And so when you go into some of the reading between the lines and the coach speak, Sam Pittman called Traylon Burks' play rusty. He practiced Wednesday, he practiced Thursday, then he was just rusty, which makes no sense to me whatsoever for a guy that's been on the practice field every single day. 
my neck of the woods, the state of Arkansas, it's still really small. We all know each other's families. You shit purple, we know it. We're very aware of the fact that Traylon Burks has signed multiple NIL deals, that he has had a lot of focus taken away from him off the field through August, and that kind of seeped into the game against Rice. There are certain NIL deals that he had that are now being put on hold, his responsibilities to those. And that's not to say he's the only player, right? I mean, Bo Nix has the sweet tea. It's bow time. Boom. Like a powder keg in your mouth. Southern style. The chicken places are going to get a hold of everybody. Every chicken sandwich is going to have a representation in the SEC. But Traylon Burks might have taken on more than he can chew from an NIL perspective, and that took his focus off the field. So you read between more of Sam Pittman, 200-pound freshman back A.J. Green is getting a bunch of reps out of the backfield in practice. I don't think Traylon Burks is going to be ready for this game. If he does, it surprises me. We win. Great. I like under 57 in this game. Sark is not particularly fast. Arkansas knows exactly what they wanted, what he wants to do. Odom has faced Sark the last few years, and Odom runs a 3-3-5 and goes into max protect against the explosive play. This is an Arkansas offense that is not executing. Arkansas defense knows exactly what they want to do against Texas. It's an underplay all the way for me. I, I guess the buy point for Arkansas is seven and a half, but you need your eyes on Burks. And remember this too. I said this on the podcast last week. Sam Pittman is pissed with this team because they get off to slow starts. So uh, as much as I have sat here and watched a three and a half turn into four and a half, turn into five, turn into six, turn into seven, as the market hammers this number, I realize in the back of my head that unless you're betting more than a thousand dollars on the live line, you can absolutely go in and get Arkansas after the first series when they don't score again. Book um, <laughs> betting Arkansas plus seven and a half. So we have a lot to get to today, obviously. We'll talk some FCS. We'll talk the marquee matchups of the weekend. It's not the greatest weekend in college football after last weekend. Week two, there's kind of a lull, but we bet, so who cares? We just try to find winners. And whenever you think it's going to be a boring weekend, that means, you know, Mercer is going to beat Alabama. We'll talk tin, tin horn later. Then we'll get to, you know, some Friday Night Lights, our favorite bets of the weekend, favorite under. We got a lot to get to. Let's just hop right into it with our first segment, Look Ahead or Look Away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? So we always like to start by not looking at this week, but next week and seeing which teams are potentially going to get caught looking ahead, whether it's from preparation or mentally, and maybe it leads to them, you know, taking the foot off the gas or pulling their starters a little sooner. We've seen that already happen quite a few times this season. Three games stick out this weekend. Let's start with one of the aforementioned Alabama. So Alabama travels to Gainesville next weekend. Well, first, Florida has to visit South Florida. It's the first time that these two teams will ever meet in South Florida. They met, I think, in like 2010 or 11 in Gainesville, but South Florida is a 28 and a half point home dog. They were embarrassed in their opener against NC state. They lost 45, nothing. They gave up 300 yards rushing, which is not a good sign when you're about to play Florida who ran for 400 yards against Florida Atlantic. And it looks like Dan Mullen has completely changed his offense to being a, after losing all the weapons and Kyle Trask to a rush focused offense. You know, Emory Jones can run, this kid Richardson that came in might be a star quarterback. He was electric. A lot of Florida fans are calling for him to be quarterback. Sadly, I had to take South Florida here. It's awful. I mean, there's not much <laughs> to like about the defense. The defensive line is brutal, which is why they can't defend the run. Cade Fortin is awful 
at quarterback, the UNC highly touted transfer or ex-UNC transfer. But this line is too high on the surface. South Florida, this is pr- pretty much their Super Bowl. A lot of Florida kids. They had a couple extra days to prepare. And Florida has Alabama on deck. So i very convinced that Florida's going to win this game. You know, they might go very vanilla in the second half. They're not going to try. They're going to show as little as possible with Alabama coming to town next week. South Florida, a couple extra days of preparation. The number on the surface was just too high. If I can get over 28, throw in this situation, I have to play it. But things are bad at South Florida. I mean, I'll tell you, there's a site out there for USF, the dailystampede.com. There was a post on there. We need to talk about USF part three. Actually, no, we don't. And it's a writer, Jamie DeVreend, who basically said, I'm done. I'm no longer, I've been writing for about South Florida for 11 and a half years. I'm done. I, I just, I, I, I'm not, I was supposed to go to this game. I'm, I'm instead I'm going in October to watch the lightning. I was supposed to go to Dallas. I canceled my credentials. He's done. He's done with South Florida football. A lot of that has to do with it. they're not going to the big 12 and like they've done nothing about it. And then the program is just a disaster. I think it's legit too. I think he's just done and not writing anymore. He said, I was looking on Google maps for a Salvation Army box near campus so I could ditch all my gear. But yeah, it's bad, but there's value in the number. It's going to be scary. It's a great situation. I'm riding with the Bulls, sadly. Any thoughts? I am not riding with the Bulls. I mean, I know South Florida was blanked by NC State. They had a standard down success rate of 20% uh, 20 less than the national average. They allowed seven tackles for loss and had 8.3 yards to go as an average on third down. Now, they did face NC State. That's a good team. So you say we can't take this away. But, I mean, South Florida was horrible last year in this new coaching tenure. And quarterbacks Timmy McLean and Cade Fortin combined for just 14 of 33 passes and three interceptions. Uh, I don't know if you can get anything out of this offense. And I think what's important, we talked about redemption angles for certain coaching staffs and certain players after a terrible 2020 or, you know, COVID pandemic and everything. And Todd Grantham is one of those coaches, one of those coordinators that needs sort of a redemption year. Florida was one of the worst teams in the nation at stopping third downs. And, you know, Grantham has stated flat out, we are playing more press coverage. We are no longer going to play a soft zone and we're going to execute that against South Florida. And, you know, when I go and I I look at that, I, I see the Florida cruised last week against FAU up 21 to zero going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, Grantham, there's still some things they need to work on for the Gators. Florida Atlantic went 5 of 12 on third downs, where Gators struggled in recent years. And Florida Atlantic, two-plus first downs on 55% of drives. That's well over the national average of 41%. So, you know, the Owls were able to move the chains, uh, have success rate. Uh, they, They won some third down, more third down plays than they should have. So, you know, Grantham is hell bent on shutting down a team and, and sadly, uh, that's going to be a South Florida team who can't go back to the Quentin Flowers days uh, and keep their writers to keep writing about them. But you're right about the quarterback. I mean, this Anthony Richardson kid, I, I knew the reason he didn't get the start is because it was Emory Jones's turn. He's waited forever. And Anthony, I'm sorry, Anthony Richardson, uh, Anthony Richardson kid, when you said he's electric, is a freshman. But what he did on the field at 6'4", 230 pounds, he had just you know seven carries and 160 yards. What's important about that number? is that only one of those was scrambles. He had 20 scramble yards and 140 on designed runs. So considering Emory Jones is half the size of what Anthony Richardson is, uh, we could see a, a, a flip at quarterback real soon. So, you know, this is a thing where Bama is on deck, but Mullen also has this attitude. If you, get, you can't get into any Dan Mullen interview where he's talking about dominating the state of Florida. 
dominating recruiting. I'm dominating on the field. Hey, Central Florida, you want to keep running your mouth? We'll come and play at your place. You want to do that? No, you don't want to do that. He wants to own the state of Florida. So I'm not getting into the habit of fading Dan Mullen when he's taking on a Florida team, especially against a South Florida team that hasn't scored yet this season, and Grantham, who has an ax to grind because teams just keep converting third down. So, uh, you know, for me, this would be a Florida first-half play, if anything. Two other ones with that involve MAC teams. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> we have Buffalo traveling to Nebraska at Winbet. Nebraska is a 14-point favorite, total 54 and a half. We also have Ball State traveling to Penn State. Penn State at Winbet's a 22-point favorite. Penn State has Auburn on deck. Nebraska has Oklahoma on deck. I look at both games and I say, look, Nebraska's already lost the game. Penn State had a losing season last year. Neither of these teams can afford to be caught looking at. And maybe they go a little more vanilla in the second half, but they have right. both these teams have a lot to work on. I don't see any angle here. Pick one of the two on and if you see anything. Yeah, I mean, Buffalo plus 14 is the play. It's creeping up there uh, against Nebraska. Nebraska's overlooked to this huge OU game. I'm, I'm not sure if they're prepping or if they even want to make the trip down, you know, I-29, I-35 to, to make that game. But the Buffalo box score against Wagner is just impossible to get a read on this new Bulls team. Seven and a half yards per play versus Wagner's 1.5. It, it was an absolute stomp for Kevin Marks and Ron Cook, the running backs of Buffalo, keeping it in the Jared Patterson mold. Uh, they rushed 71% of the times. So 71% of the time. And that's good news because Fordham got 129 yards on the ground against Nebraska. Also, you know, it's same old, same old with Nebraska, 119th in defensive havoc and 110th offensively in havoc allowed. They can't seem to take ball, take the ball away. They can't seem to have ball security when Adrian uh, Martinez has the ball. So this is a number where myself and a number of power rating people make it nine and a half. So I think when this team gets up a little bit too high, uh, uh, 14 is going to be the play. You know, the, the Penn State one, you know, to be real quick, Penn State, I'm sorry, to be real quick on Ball State, I mean, we know Drew Plitt uh, and his wide receiver there, Justin Hall, they may have more career uh, throws and receptions than I think any other combination in FBS. And this is a really good spot to catch a Penn State defense. That, yes, it was fantastic against Wisconsin, but they were on the field for like 44 minutes. So, you know, what is the level of intensity and in play that Penn State's going to have when you've got overlooked to tank Bigsby next week, you have to look at an over. A first half over, I think, is the best play because Sean Clifford did not really have a great game. Now, Mike Yurcich, if you're looking at tempo and pace, they finished up seventh in plays per minute. Penn State is now a fast up-tempo offense, and we knew that they would be, but the execution by Clifford just isn't there yet. And we know, you know, he's a different, there's a different player in Sean Clifford between three scripted series and then when they kind of call it on the fly. And so I think Mike Yurisich needs a get healthy game for Sean Clifford. I think this is it. But, you know, where is the defense going to be after last week's game and what they got next week? So, and Ball State can sling it and they're going to sling it all four quarters. So I like the first half over in that game. Yeah. The tough thing for me is with these MAC teams, you know, I go back to last week and I played Western Michigan. I'm trying to be cautious with them early on in the season out of conference because the priors that we have last year are so out of whack because they only played other MAC teams. Right. So, you know, and, and a lot of the a lot of them only played like three or four games. Some of them only played three or four games against some of the worst teams in the country. So from a power ratings perspective and a priors perspective, it's it's difficult for me to get a grasp on where these teams are. So it's probably a pass for me. 
even though it is a pretty good situation. Ball State did look awful last week against Western Illinois, so you, you would think that you're going to get their full focus here. But they could, they might just end up being overmatched in the trenches. That's what Michigan did to Western Michigan. They just they went big and they were just running at will against them, and then they couldn't do anything to stop Michigan's defensive line. However, that leads me to Toledo plus 17 at Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a game with Purdue on deck. They just finished Florida State. It's a pretty good situational spot here for Toledo for a number of reasons. You look at that Notre Dame defense last week, it was gassed in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Mm-hmm. They And now they only have five days to prepare for this game. Meanwhile, Toledo, who played at home in a laugh for over Norfolk State, had an extra day and a half of prep and rest. They rested their starters throughout that game. This is – you know, we talk about this the year of returning experience. Toledo had more returning experience than any team in the country. Notre Dame bottom 10. And you could see some of the problems with Notre Dame last week. Notre Dame's offensive line looked really poor. Last year, they gave up, they allowed a stuff rate of 14% against Florida State, 49%. I mean, they're, they're kind of Williams averaged, what, 2.6 yards per carry? They couldn't get anything going on the ground. On the other side of the ball, their defensive line, which their defensive front seven, which lost a lot, got pushed around a little bit by Florida State. They allowed, you know, overall they allowed six yards per play, over 260 yards on the ground. Toledo can run the ball. Toledo can sling the ball. This is a team that actually has a pretty good offensive and defensive line for a MAC team. So I think that they can compete here. Notre Dame also lost its left tackle to an injury. They lost two more linebackers to injury during the game. Toledo brings back everybody. I mean, Carter Bradley's a new starting quarterback, but he started before Gus Bradley's son. They will probably not have Tyson Anderson, which does hurt their star safety. He's an NFL prospect will play at the next level. He's been dealing with a nagging injury. I don't think he's going to play. He wasn't on the depth chart. So that does hurt, but I think Toledo can compete here. It's a bad spot for Notre Dame. They're still trying to figure out the Marcus Freeman defense. I think Toledo will be able to move the ball on the ground. I think that they'll hit a couple big plays through the air, and their defense has enough playmakers. They added a, they bring back all everyone from the two deep. They added a Penn State transfer to bolster their defensive line and Culpepper. Um, Johnson's a hell of a player up front too, so they have some talent and they can get after the quarterback. So I think that they're going to be able to make enough plays here to hang with Notre Dame. It wouldn't shock me if this game was close. The Notre Dame was 8-0 against MAC teams all time. And Brian Kelly's been great in this spot as a as a 14-plus point favorite. I think he's 64-2 straight up. He lost to Duke in Northwestern. They're actually the most profitable coach to bet since 2005 as a 14-plus a point favorite on the money line. He rarely loses these games. But if you go back to 2018, similar situation, Notre Dame escaped with a close win against Michigan. And this game was on Saturday, and it didn't go to overtime. The next week, they played Ball State, another MAC team. They were a 42-point favorites, and they won by eight. So don't be surprised if Toledo is right there in the fourth quarter. The only thing I'm worried about, you know, I think this line should be closer to 10, and I really like Toledo's roster. The only thing I'm worried about is just that the Mac pri- that my MAC priors are all off. But uh, I this with this situation, with Toledo's roster – with their coaching staff. I really like their defensive coordinator too. Came, he was the head coach at Mountain Union, made a lot of changes last year. 
moved some positions around, which I think will pay off this year after a full off season of that. Uh, so I really like their their schematics defensively. So unless they just get manhandled here, I think they're going to hang. Thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of interesting moving pieces that people may not uh, be aware of coming into this game, especially when you get into the uh, box scores of Toledo from last week. And listen, the number was available at 19 and a half before the Florida State game. And that was a great time to fire in on Toledo, uh, saying that if things play out in the Florida State game the way I think they will, then this game should come in around 17 or 16 and a half. That's exactly what's happened. But we're not here to pat ourselves on the back. We're here to make money. And so the buying point on Toledo, I think, is a stop at 16. I agree with you. I make this game a lot lower. But 16 is going to be the last where I would probably take a ticket on Toledo. But there are other betting deliverables that you can get from this game. I mean, you can't take much from Toledo hammering Norfolk State. Other than the fact I was shocked that they ran the ball on 70% of snaps. I mean, I think they had 38 rushing attempts and, and they didn't play tempo whatsoever. Very un-Toledo like. Uh, they still posted top 20 numbers on both sides of the ball and finishing drives. So that was very Toledo like. But this Daquan Finn and Bryant Kobach, they just posted gaudy numbers running the ball. Uh, in the, you know, receiving the ball. And and, and Finn actually had five yeah, passes. Finn's- yeah, Finn's their their backup quarterback, who's dual threat. Yeah. They're they're gonna bring him in for packages really fast, and he he looked really good. Carter Carter Bradley's the more traditional passer, coach's son, but yeah, Finn. I think they're gonna bring him in, and he's a good change of pace, keep Notre Dame's defense on their toes. I think that they can use him effectively. And I agree because if you look at what Notre Dame did in that overtime win against FSU, they had no rushing success rate on offense whatsoever. They ranked around a hundredth in line yards on offense. They were 90. And then we flipped to the defensive side of the ball to, you know, to tack on to, to what Finn and Kobach are doing for Toledo. This is where things got ugly. Notre Dame got a rank of 90th in tackling. I mean, that doesn't sound like a Marcus Freeman team. They finished 99th in defensive finishing drives. That doesn't sound like a Marcus Freeman defense whatsoever. So I know it's a one-game sample. I know it was down in Tallahassee. I know these kids haven't played in front of fans in a really long time. But FSU's explosive plays and passing downs combined with terrible tackling is what almost got the Seminoles that win outright. Now, weather is going to play a factor here. Winds are blowing 17 miles per hour angled to the northwest corner of the end zone. Uh, You know, the Irish, they did place 12th in SP Plus uh, special teams rankings this week. Uh, But, you know, I mean – Listen, I mean, that's a limited sample set, but we know this. They were awful this. last year in special teams. They were awful last year, but we know this for a fact. Jack Cohn has zero footwork. He has zero ability to escape the pocket and elude anybody. This is a heavy tempo rush rate coming out of Tommy Rees. This is going to be a heavy tempo. And if, and if Toledo continues this heavy tempo rush rate that they have, I don't know where this came from. Like, they were all passing teams. Now I mean, they're playing Norfolk State, though. So I know they didn't have to do anything, but I mean, if you've got the you got Kobach and Finn back there doing these kinds of things, the third down explosiveness, the passing downs explosiveness, that could get Notre Dame in trouble again. So I agree with you. I'm on Toledo. I took the under. Actually, was betting the under here as we started this. Uh, I wanted 57. It's not coming back to 57. Uh, if the Rockets are going to stay on the ground more than they pass in in, in typical years with with Candle, then this is an under team that the market just hasn't caught up to. All right. It's time to move on to our marquee games of the weekend. We got three of them. We'll spend a couple minutes on each. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week two. 
All right, let's start with Oregon at Ohio State. This is a noon kick on Saturday. Ohio State's a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. This line was under 14, and it is breezed by two touchdown mark. Over under 63-and-a-half. The big news here that you probably have heard about all week is Will Thibodeau play. The star defensive end who has a sprained ankle was in a boot last weekend, came out of the game, and Oregon's win over Fresno State. Ohio State also has some injury questions. Josh Proctor left the game, but he's been practicing. I think he's going to go. They, Ohio State played without their top two corners last week in seven banks and Cam Brown. I, I'm almost positive seven banks is going to start, which will be big uh, against Pittman, Oregon's receiver. I'm sure he'll be matched up with him a lot. There was a lot of things that I did not like about Oregon last week, and I did not like Oregon coming into the season. First of all, they couldn't run the ball at all. I'm not an Anthony Brown truther. You know, without Thibodeau fully healthy or maybe not even playing, C.J. Stroud might have some early jitters again, but he at least was able to settle in. I'm sure he has a lot more confidence now. I just don't think that, you know, he's going to make plays regardless. Every game, Ohio State's going to score. It could be on screens. It could be on slants. They have just dynamic receivers and running backs. They're going to score. But they also can just, I think, can – dominate this game on the ground where I think Oregon is exploitable. So I think that Ohio state's going to be able to sustain drives whenever they want. And I don't trust Oregon to do the same, even though I'm not a big Kerry Coombs guy. And I don't love this Ohio state secondary yet, but I'm assuming Proctor and banks will play, which will help. And, you know, but the trenches, Ohio state's going to have the advantage in this game. And Look, Oregon has team speed and they have team talent, but it's just not on the same level as Ohio State. I, I make this line right around two touchdowns. I, I you know, this is I, there's probably it's probably gonna be a trendy dog. Oregon catching fourteen and a half. I want no part. What are your thoughts here? You got to like the secondary better than last year's version with Sean Wade, right? <laughs> the Thibodeau thing is quite interesting because Day came out in his presser earlier in the week and he said we're gonna practice as if he's playing, and I think that's important for. Uh, the tackles for the two teams, Nicholas Petit Ferrer and Dewan Jones, who are now, you know, Thayer Munford is now moved inside to guard. And these two tackles, they were responsible for half the pressures in the Minnesota game. So that offensive line has got to get a little bit better, but I don't think it matters. Uh, you know, the Ducks defense had a great day in standard downs against Fresno, but when it came to passing downs, the drives just keep get, get, just were extended by Jake Hayner and Ronnie Rivers. The Bulldogs finished with a success rate 17% higher than the national average in passing downs. And that kind of fits what you and I said over the summer. This is Tim DeRuiter, new defensive coordinator. He likes to give up a whole bunch of yards. Uh, he doesn't want to allow an explosive play in the 3-3-5. And the issue is, is that that works when you're good at limiting scoring attempts, which he didn't do against Fresno. Fresno got to the red zone five times and they scored on all five trips against Oregon. That's just a formula. that's not going to work. So the question is, is can the Buckeyes get explosiveness against the Stucks defense? And the answer is 1000%. Uh, this hey, is the even best. If you, try to, if you just say, I'm going to not prevent, I'm going to prevent Ohio state from getting explosive plays that an explosive play to Ohio state is a Trevion Henderson's a stud, but it's, yep. it's a little swing pass is a slam yep. is a, a play designer over the middle. And then the receivers are gone. Like that's just not the approach you can think of Ohio State. That was the play that I saw. I saw that was the play I saw last week. I said Oregon's in deep, deep shit. I don't care how fast Kayvon Thibodeau, how healthy he is. I don't care if he's 110. 
When you saw Travion Henderson take that dump pass from CJ Stroud and then go for an explosive touchdown, or you watch Mayan Williams maybe run to the other edge, the edge that has a problem, you know, setting contain, that's a serious, serious issue for this Oregon defense. There's so many weapons on this Ohio State team. I can't see how they don't get theirs. And I will join you on the whole Anthony Brown. I mean, he had one, he had one really explosive play, and it was on a fourth and short when he needed it, and he cut a corner and 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 got the touchdown to to beat Fresno State. You take that out of there, and it was not a great day. Take Ta- that run. That was a 30-yard run. You take that out of there yeah. before that – and that won the game. That was the game-winning touchdown at the end. They had 45 carries for 150 yards against Fresno. Right. It's not yeah. very Oregon-like. Yeah. I mean, Fresno had eight tackles for loss, and the Ducks went just four and a half yards on passing downs. So ask yourself this question. What is the kind of offense that beats Ohio State? Teams that go long, verticals you know, fly routes, slant routes deep in the passing game. It's not what Anthony Brown is doing. He doesn't have the arm strength to pull that off. Uh, I don't think these third and fourth down conversions are going to, are going to happen against this Ohio state defense. I want to take an over 39 Ohio state. And I want to take an under 64 on the full game total. There's a chance for a middle there because I don't see Oregon getting theirs. And you would say, well, why don't you just take the spread? I mean, I, (laughs) You never know uh, with this Ohio State defense and the and the kind of changes that they're making. Buy back towards buy backdoor probability. Yeah, too. there's backdoor probability. I, I am more comfortable taking an Ohio State team total over and a full game under, especially at a 9 a.m. Pacific Coast time for Oregon here. Uh, give me some Buckeyes all day to score a ton of points. On the same page there, for our second marquee game, I'm not sure if we're going to agree like we did with Oregon, Ohio State. I'm talking about the Cyhawk rivalry. Iowa State, four-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Iowa, over under 46. We've talked ad nauseum about Iowa State's slow starts. Iowa has owned this rivalry. They've won five straight, you know, over since 2015, I believe. Iowa State looked awful last week. They barely escaped UNI. Iowa continued its dominance. I mean, they won six straight last year in dominant fashion and they blew out indiana so i'm taking iowa plus the points here right no i like iowa state here i don't know if you like it seems like everyone loves iowa trendy dog alert i think they're the ull this week but i went back and watched the iowa state northern iowa highlights in most of the game look they basically did nothing and they've done this before against northern iowa and they've done this before under Matt Campbell Campbell in week one. But Charlie Kohler, the number one, their tight end didn't play. But they didn't call. They had one ball they threw down the field. It was a beautiful pass that was completed. But they did nothing. They were just checking it down. Northern Iowa was selling out against the run. And Iowa State said, I don't care. We're not showing anything. We're just being ultra conservative. I, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I mean, they could have lost. And, like, you, you already have a veteran team. Like, everyone already has tape on you. Go out there and get into a rhythm, which they haven't done in the past. But they weren't trying to do anything. The defense was obviously excellent. They shut out another team in the second half. In three of their past six games, uh, their opponent has not scored in the second half. They've scored a total of 16 points in those six games. Pretty impressive. So we know the defense is going to be excellent. But, look, I just think they weren't showing anything. And if you look at Iowa last week, who we both liked against Indiana. They had two pick sixes. Penix was awful. And we said that Indiana is not a good matchup to take advantage of some of the weaknesses that Iowa has on its roster. 
Well, Iowa State is. They have a great offensive line. They have a great running back that can take advantage of what I think is a soft underbelly of that Iowa defense. I think that we're just we're getting some value with Iowa State here because of what happened last week, because of what people you know have know about Iowa State in September, know about this rivalry. Iowa State knows all that too. Um, I actually make the spread. I mean, I'm really high on Iowa State, like a, as a little over a touchdown. I'm waiting. I was I was waiting for it to get down to three. What I might do is just throw Iowa State and Ohio State together in a money line parlay. Uh, because this points are valuable. I will say points are valuable in this game with a total of 45 and two, you know, two plus defenses and uh, a rivalry game. But I like Iowa State. I think there's value with the Cyclones. And I think that they finally get this monkey off their back and beat Iowa and get a big win in September. So having said all that, are you coming on the island, the Ames Island with me? Are you, are you also <laughs> riding with the trendy dog in Iowa? The Ames Island, uh, which is an interesting uh, – there is definitely going to be a sea of alcohol at, at game day. So I don't know where you're going to find an island because a lot of people are going to be swimming uh, in that parking lot after I this game. I will be too, so we, we have that uh, in common. Listen, I think what Stucky just told everybody is something that you should do as a handicapper. Go down Narrative Street and then punch holes in it. The narrative is out there in two fronts. There's a buy low, sell high for what Iowa State did in the vanilla game against Northern Iowa. And then there's that final score that you see from the Hawkeyes against Indiana, which is kind of beefed up by a Raleigh, Riley Moss pick six times two. Uh, and when you go down Narrative Street, you can understand why this has been all Iowa money. I was a little bit shocked to see that SP Plus had this game as Iowa as a favorite. And for me, this is... Whoa, you know, really? I, that's the reason nothing has come across from me on the Action app is because... There are sharps that believe in Iowa, and there are people that follow SP Plus religiously and would bet it no matter what it is. But let me take a trip down Narrative Street and and tell everybody what I see, which is, you know, the biggest issues I see for the Hawkeyes are Spencer Petrus's ability to read a 3-3-5 defense. So if you look back into the history of the games that he's played, he has faced a 3-3-5 defense just once. And that was when half the snaps against Minnesota, they ran other schemes, but half the time they were in three, three, five, especially in long down and distances. If you look at PFF, that was Spencer Petrus's worst graded game as a passer in the entire 2020 season. He has not seen a three, three, five since a three, three, five is designed to disguise coverage designed to disguise blitz which Iowa State will do. Uh, they run 335 on 92% of uh, snaps on defense. 20% of the time they send blitz, generally when the offense is showing 11 formation, or they double their blitz rate when the offense shows two tight ends. So what did I just say? Iowa, when they run 12, you can expect Iowa State's coming in heavy with the blitz when they run 11, half the time. But really the point is, is, you know, Iowa's quarterback's worst graded game came against a defense last year, and he has not seen that defense set up until now, until this game. This is a big jump for him. He's going on the road. It's his first road game, uh, you know, as a college athlete, a quarterback, uh, considering, you know, limited attendance last year. You know, I think a big thing that people are overlooking is that Iowa State gets Charlie Kohler back. And that's important for what Matt Campbell wants to do. And you look at that score against Northern Iowa and you say, oh, my God, uh, Campbell's fucking it up again here in September and Iowa State's going to be out of it. But the truth is, is that Charlie Kohler wasn't there 
And that limited Matt Campbell's ability to call his favorite formations, which are 12 and 13. That means two tight end sets or three tight end sets. No one loves putting three tight ends on the field and mixing up their routes, their pre-snap motion and confusing the hell out of defenses than Matt Campbell. So the question is, is the only question I have about Iowa State is Brees Hall, because there was talk about him being a little bit dinged up going into the Northern Iowa game. He still ran the ball, but that explosiveness isn't there. And we don't know why. But if it's still not there against Iowa, they have to still attack the defensive line. If you look at this Iowa defensive line, uh, not only are they weighing around 270, 275 these days, but the numbers that they posted against Indiana weren't that impressive. Tackles uh, Yaha, Yaha Black and uh, Lucas Van Ness posted two of the worst rush defense grades on the team. If Brees Hall can't attack this defensive line, this small defensive line in Iowa standards, then you can expect Campbell's going to line up in 13 with his best tight end and confuse the shit out of that Iowa front seven. So I'm on Iowa State. Now, there should be something said about market entry point, right? Okay, just because I like Iowa State doesn't mean I'm going to go out there and start buying four and a half, five, six, whatever is out there. I think market entry point is very important. This is college game day. Iowa is taking in a ton of tickets, a ton of money but I'm with stuck. I'm all over Iowa state and there are X's and O's on both sides that support that case. Yeah. It's funny that last week the market was all about fading Iowa when we liked Iowa and now it's completely flipped and we're against Iowa here. I finally think this is time. We're starting Brocktober early people. (laughs) It's almost Brocktober. There we go. We're starting it in the second week of September. Play that clip back if they lose, and I'll eat my words, and I'm sure we'll have tons of voicemails from oh, yeah. uh, folks you know in it. Iowa City. And we work with a lot of people that went to Iowa, so I can't wait for that game. Let's get to our last marquee game of the weekend. And look, after last <laughs> week, I had Western Michigan. We didn't talk about that game. Uh-uh. We have to give Bodog Jim... A couple minutes. Bodog Jim has it under control. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. Credit the Bodog Jim and Michigan, but I'm not even going to credit Bodog Jim. I'm going to credit Mike McDonald and the Ravens. The, the new defensive coordinator from the Ravens. Oh, God, RIP my Ravens. I mean, can they, I wonder, if, did anyone else tear their ACL while I'm recording this? But Washington will take on Michigan. At win bet, Michigan is a seven-point favorite over under 48-and-a-half. Now, I again, what can we take from last week? You know, Michigan beat up on another directional Michigan school. But they did look better in the defense. I like the defensive scheme that they were running they were really disguising a lot of their looks on offense. They kind of just went really heavy at times and were just, and just overpowered a bad Western Michigan defense. But, you know, McNamara made some good throws. They did lose Ronnie Bell, which is big, their top receiver. The prop, I mean, this on the surface, this number is crazy. It's crazy inflated, but yeah, I don't know what to expect from Washington. And here's why. I mean, Jimmy Lake doesn't say anything about injuries. Last week, they had so many guys out that it was insane. I mean, their top three receivers are out. And then Jalen Polk, the Texas tech transfer got hurt. He's out a couple months. Like they had a bunch of guys that never caught a pass playing receiver. They have a good (laughs) tight end. That's who they basically just threw to, but 
And Dill Morris, I, I'm not a fan of Dill Morris. I, it's why I was low in Oregon and Washington compared to the rest of the conference. I didn't believe in either Brown or, or Morris. You might even see them go to Sam Heward. You're seeing a lot of Huskies fans call for Sam Heward, who's the son of former Washington quarterback Damon Heward, a nephew of Brock Heward, who we both are starting to like as an announcer. So shout out to, to Brock. Uh, let me just say, this is the matchup that the Pac-12 was waiting for. And how in the world can you not figure these Huskies out? They've had some other injuries on the defensive side of the ball. They just looked lifeless last week against Montana in a bad, 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 bad loss. And in that game, Montana beat Washington on their 13 to seven. I mean, it doesn't get worse from that, but the worse than that watch. I mean, Dylan Morris was 27 of 46 for 226 yards with no touchdowns and three interceptions against an FCS team. Washington ran the ball. Another thing, their senior running back wasn't available either. Washington ran the ball to McGrew. Washington ran the ball 27 times for 65 yards, 2.4 yards per rush. I mean, their defense held up, as you would expect against Montana and Hope. They only had, Montana only had 10 first downs. Uh, but the offense looked horrific. And, but I, and I don't know what to expect here, who they're going to throw the ball. They couldn't run the ball. All their receivers are hurt. Are they going to go to the freshman? When asked by when some of the reporters asked Jimmy Lake, he said, Dylan Morris is my starting quarterback. And they said, well, we see – uh, he already said Dylan Morris is our starting quarterback. He doesn't say anything. So he just kept repeating himself. So I don't know. I would think that if Morris comes out and throws a pick early, uh, you're going to have to put the kid in. So hard to project what Washington's going to look like on offense. The Michigan defense looked better. How much can you take from that against Western Michigan, who I think is does have a good offense? It's There's going to be wind here as well. It's a Saturday night game. The Washington defense – does have some injuries in the front seven, but they have two excellent corners, a couple of good linebackers. It's Jimmy Lake defense, not going to give up a lot of big plays. You know, this feels like it's an under game to me, throwing the wind as well. Washington, it's just, I just don't know what you're going to get from the offense. I mean, and if you get Heward in there, who knows how it's going to go? Maybe he lights it up. Maybe he throws more picks. It can't get worse than what Morris looked like last week. What do you see here? Yeah, are we throwing the towel in on the season already and saying throw Hubert in there? Let's just wave the white flag. This this Jimmy Lake era is not going very well at all. And, uh, you know, some defensive coordinators were made to stay as coordinators their entire career. So we'll see how this turns out. But listen, I favor a first half under here, put it in on the Ashen app. Uh, wind is a major factor in this game. And the Washington defense is proven against the pass. I mean, I know they have all the injuries, but what are we going to get out of Michigan here? They graded out 18th in defensive passing success rate and third in defensive finishing drives against Western Michigan. So both defenses are expected to perform here better than both of the offenses. There is no Ronnie, Ronnie Bell in this game that also supports an under, and they posted a very poor rank uh, in their in their game in finishing drives uh, against Western Michigan, both on the offensive and defensive side. So we'll see if they can get that turned around, but the tempo is a concern. If you're going to go on the over with Michigan at any point, Michigan finished last week 90th in plays per minute, which tells me this whole Josh Gaddis calling plays. I think that's over. I think Josh Gaddis's time as being the play caller and the designer of the offense that might be done. And then as far as Washington goes, the John Donovan play calling, we kind of said it was elementary in our summer podcast preview. Uh, this is too predictable uh, about what you do in standard downs and what you're doing in passing downs. Now we know that there's just no explosiveness on this team. They finished 120th in big play percentage, big plays being runs over 12 yards, passes 
over 15 yards. Uh, and they finished 89th in finishing drives and 55th, 55th in place per minute. So there's no tempo, there's no explosiveness, and there's no execution when they get in the red zone. So, and, and that goes for both these teams. So the number mathematically has moved well beyond for spread perspective, beyond projections, but some teams, you know, sometimes teams are just bad. And Washington, I think is that team. It's a, it's a one game sample set against Montana, but you know, when you come out 119th in special teams, SP plus, uh, and you have a lot of other things that are hovering around the top 100 mark. And I know it's a one game sample, but against an FCS team, you should not be posting numbers like this. This is a first half underplay for me. I'm not sure how Washington contributes to the final score. Uh, so yeah, that's it for me. I, this game is, is gross. Yeah. I think the unders a look too. I mean, I don't, I can't see Michigan doing too much in the passing game without bell against two really good corners, probably a top 10 corner duo in college football. The only way I see this going over is like if Washington's offense magically transforms. And the only way I think that would happen is if Heward plays and he's great off the bat in the first, first action on the road in the big house on a Saturday night and all the receivers come back, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, but Lake's not saying much. They're all day to day. Um, so I agree. The, it might seem obvious, but I think the, the look here is the under, this feels like, like a 20 to 17 type of game. All right, let's move on to the best of the rest in our rundown. We have three games to get to. I did want to go through two games that involve service academies, one where they're playing each other uh, on what will be the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which will be a talking point on Saturday. Thoughts are with anyone that was uh, personally impacted or lost anyone on that day 20 years ago. Let's start with an Army team that took all of my money last week against Georgia State playing Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky Zappy Hour is here. Bailey Zappy. He threw for seven touchdowns against an FCS school, but it was a coming out party for this Western Kentucky offense that is basically Houston Baptist offense. We talked about this a lot, complete 180. Now, when I look at this game, the couple interesting, you know, I have win bet. Army is a seven-point favorite over under 52. Now, you know, when I look at that Western Kentucky box score from last weekend, obviously the offense looked great. You have to tell yourself it was an FCS school in UT Martin. But, you know, I've seen worse performances against FCS schools. The one troubling stat when I look at the box score is that UT Martin – you know, ran it 34 times for 201 yards, averaged close to six yards per carry. Now you're about to play Army. So, you know, I think that the line is about right, but there's a the total has been just – I've been going back and forth in the total, and I'll tell you why. I think Army should be able to have success running the ball against Western Kentucky. Army was using tempo a lot more, which they never do, uh, early against Georgia State. They were were running, rushing to the ball and snapping the ball early before the game got out of hand. So I'm thinking Army might be using more tempo this year. It didn't show in the final stats because the game got blown out of proportions and they went back to old Army. Tyler, one of their two quarterbacks, they have co-starters, is also questionable. He's like the speedy the speedy guy, the, the change of pace, the better runner, whereas Anderson is the better thrower, can run also and run the triple option. But that's something to keep an eye on. But, you know, Western Kentucky obviously has this spread out offense. Army is a pretty good secondary for Army, but they should have some success throwing the ball in Army. 
But, you know, playing an army over is always dangerous because army can have a 10 minute drive and there's so little room for error when you're going like over 52 in an army game. And here, these two teams played each other in 2019. Western Kentucky won 17 to eight at home, held army to 208 yards of offense. Those are really good Western Kentucky defense. Here's what Tyson Helton, the Western Kentucky head coach said. He said, you have to army them back like we did. You have to play ball, control the offense. You have to be able to run the football and eat up the clock. Maybe a boring football game, but that's the formula. Don't have penalties. Don't have turnovers. Have to be able to run the football and hold the football. Helton said, this is from the Western Kentucky Herald. Helton said he wants to establish the run and play at a slower pace this week. Western Kentucky had just two drives eclipsed three, the three-minute mark against the Skyhawks. Meanwhile, Army dictated the pace of its game, holding the ball for 42 minutes. So I don't know. Like, So Western Kentucky is going to go back to its old offense, and they're just going to run the ball and go slow? So I keep going back and forth because I'm like, Western Kentucky, this new offense, used to bat the spread out offense. They're going to score points. Army's going to be able to run the ball. But now Western, is Western Kentucky not going to be Houston Baptist for this game and try to out-army Army? Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. Any thoughts here? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. I put a play in on the app on the openers. Uh, this one came out three and a half now. Uh, I, I think at six at win bet. This is a number where you kind of take your projections and throw them out because the handicap on Army is, is what can you do in the trench? And you're right. The Tennessee Martin rushing numbers against Western Kentucky scare the hell out of me for, you know, both you and I love Western Kentucky so much and Bailey Zappi. And we think that they can win the conference and Tyson Helton, I think made a statement that the team's going to go 12 and 0 this year, but this is a challenge out of the rushing attempts. Um, you know, the what 33 rushing attempts, the Tennessee Martin had five were stuffed five. That's a 15% stuff rate. That is way less than national average. Tennessee Martin was able to run at will against this Western Kentucky defense. So that is certainly a point of interest because like Stuck says, if Army wants to, if they have a three-point lead or a four-point lead, they will go as slow as possible and they will stay on schedule. Now, remember with Army, that means you go on every fourth and one. You go on every fourth and two. It doesn't matter where you're at. Western Kentucky's defense is not currently set up to stop the run. Now, if they want to try to play Army ball with an offense that comes in from Houston Baptist that is used to throwing for 600 yards a game, and they had possessions in the first quarter against Tennessee Martin, I I don't think they lasted longer than 40 seconds. I've never seen a team uh, move so fast. I mean, it slowed down in the second half, but that first half tempo was lightning quick. And, you know, it really showed in the results, too. I mean, Western Kentucky was fantastic. Uh, in finishing drives. I think they averaged 5.5 points every time they crossed the 40-yard line. There's teams that play really bad FCS teams every week. Zappy, his efficiency rating, the highest of any FBS quarterback in any game since 2016, Baker Mayfield. Did it in a game against, uh, I think, Texas Tech. Probably Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury there. Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury defense. Cliff Kingsbury. So, yeah, he was obviously dominant. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, my, my issue is that Western Kentucky played 45 downs in standard downs and it's only 16 downs in passing downs. They were on schedule the entire night. So I'm not sure they know what it is to be third and eight. They averaged 18.3 yards in passing downs. And, and I'm not, you know, look what Army's secondary did. They shut Georgia State down. They forced turnovers and, and uh, immediately had field position, you know, at the 20 yard line. 
Uh, it was a typical army performance uh, that, you know, just drains the life out of you if you have a ticket on the other side. I go back to what the handicap on army is. They'll choke you out with a three-point lead. And if you can't defend the run, they're just going to pound the A-gap all day. Western Kentucky can't defend the run. So while Tyson Helton has a brand new offensive coordinator and a brand new quarterback and a whole new scheme on the offensive side of the ball to change everything up and say, you want to out army at army. I'm not a believer. Now the number is worth talking about because again, we're at entry point uh, where it opened, where it closes. I suspect this number will close around six, six and a half. If the, if Tyson Helton and Western Kentucky are successful at all at keeping this game close and out arming army, uh, you're going to want to get that Western Kentucky six and a half or seven if it goes to overtime. I can say that if it gets over seven live, I probably will play back on the three and a half. If you're one of the ones on the action app that took one of these openers with Army, there's going to be a window here to play back. But uh, right now I'm comfortably sticking with Army. If you can't defend the run, especially against an FCS team, then I don't see why I would back you with my money. I couldn't agree more. All right, let's move on to the other game involving two service academies. That's Navy hosting Air Force. Air Force won in a laugher against Lafayette. I'm not sure how much we can take from that in week one. While Navy got blown out by Marshall, Navy's having all kinds of problems on offense really since losing Malcolm Perry, they did have put together a lot of drives. I think they had almost 400 yards of offense against Marshall. They just couldn't finish drives and everything. It was just, it would be trying to use different quarterbacks. I think they used four quarterbacks in the game. They really just can't settle on a QB, but they were able to move the ball a little bit. The biggest question here, I mean, and they're going to be pissed. Maybe at home, full stadium, you know, anniversary of 9-11, there's going to be just a lot of energy in that crowd. And they got embarrassed by Air Force in week one last year. They lost 40 to seven. So, you know, and then they got embarrassed last week. You know, Ken is going to have his boys ready to roll. The question is, what do we know about Air Force? We know that their defense got a lot of turnbacks who didn't play last year back. And their defense should be pretty good. But we don't know much about their offense, especially the offensive line, which lost all five starters, including two you know, pro prospects. How much can you take when they play Lafayette? Both these teams are very familiar with each other. Usually when two service academy, triple option service guys play, you let them look at the under. I don't, I, I wasn't around when the openers came out. It opened at 45. Obviously just bet that it's going to come down to 40 every time. Totals down to 41 now at WinBet. This line has come down a little bit to Navy plus five and a half. I'm really tempted to play Navy. I think there's value in the number. The situation it favors Navy here. It's going to be a game where it comes down to just one long possession and, you know, who converts a fourth and one or who, you know, who, who gets a forces a fumble on a pitch. I think it's going to be a game like that low scoring. So points, you know, catching five and a half with a total of 40, 41, even more valuable. I'll be looking for the six. It's more of a gut feel because I, I the Navy offense is scary. I mean, last year was their worst. They couldn't run the ball. The Navy team that can't couldn't run the ball, some of their worst numbers ever. But I have a gut feeling Navy shows up for this one. Their defense should be pretty good. Same with Air Forces. If questions about both offenses, I might take the points with the home pup of a matchup of two 
triple option teams. And these games that we've seen many times at Army Navy can be wars, even if one team ends up being significantly better than the other. What are your thoughts here? Navy comes out against BYU in the opener uh, in the pandemic 2020 season. They get blown out 55 to three. Turns out they were tackling tires, uh, pillow cushions, not sure what the hell they were doing in preseason camp. What happened after they lost 55 to three? If anybody remembers, they went to New Orleans uh, to play Tulane and they were six and a half. Dominated in the second half. They slept in the first half. Slept in the first half as six and a half point underdogs came back and won that game outright as a six and a half point dog on the road after losing 55 to three. So the numbers that are sitting in front of me right now, the Navy put up last week against Marshall. And I got, I hate people that are like this, like people that don't actually watch the games, but you know, there's this narrative out there that Marshall's not as good as that. And Navy's just didn't, wasn't prepared. No, Marshall is that good. Navy had a bad day. All right. I mean, dead last in coverage rankings, 127th in defensive havoc. It's red. Everything's red. All the stats are bad. doesn't matter which side you look, but believe it or not, Navy plays 25th in offensive line yards. They actually did get a little bit of movement in the trench. Now they didn't sustain drives and they didn't, uh, you know, do much from that angle, but they did get movement there with the trench and get the ball and keep the ball on schedule and first and second down. And you won't have to worry about coverage against air force. You don't have to. Yeah. I mean, you throw out the coverage stuff. You really look at the fact that like Navy ran the ball 82% air force last week against Lafayette ran 93%. So you can see why the total is like falling. Like I, it wouldn't be a shock to see this be 10, seven, 13, seven, something like that. And, you know, in that same breath, you hear stuck say I'm tempted to take Navy in the points. Well, with the way this total is falling, that side gets more and more valuable, the more that this falls. So I'm with you in the fact that yes, Navy can bounce back. And I do see that their line yards put them. I know it's a one game sample guys. Well, in a month, well, these, these numbers will be mean something, but when Navy gets blown out uh, by Marshall, but they're still able to post 25th in line yards offensively, that means they might be able to move the ball here. Yeah. I mean, I make it minus four Uh, SP plus has this at minus five and a half. I think the, the, as we were three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we record and it sits at six uh, at win bet, I would not be surprised at all if this thing closes five, maybe sub five. Yeah. Four. So that's my guess. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our last of the rundown games. And that's the Holy war. Utah going for its 10th straight victory in the Holy war. Although these games are, I go, go look at the history of these games. They're all, they always are close. I mean, here are some of Utah's wins in that nine game win streak, 17, 16, 24, 21, 2013, 35, 28, 20 to 19, 19 to 13, 35 to 27. The last time they played, they didn't play last year. It was in 2019. Utah did blow them out 30 to 12. Uh, you know, that's at win bet. Utah's a seven point favorite. This game is, I think it's at nine 30 or 10 30 Eastern. I really want to take Utah here. I think that BYU from what I've seen watching some of that Arizona game and looking at some of the advanced stats, Knowing some of the injuries, you know, their top receiver, Romney's going to be out. They do get the Nakua brothers, a transfer from Utah and Washington, should be able to go at receiver, two talented wide receiver transfers. Their linebacker should be back. Their corner, I think, probably still out after going unconscious on Saturday. Kicker is iffy. They have a really good kicker, too. BYU, look at the box score against Arizona. They lost the box score in that game. Uh-huh. Arizona was the better team statistically, and you could say BYU wasn't showing much, but they were getting pressured the entire game uh, against Arizona. I, I think that 
it's this sets up, you know, outside of like the, we've lost nine roads at home. It should be an electric atmosphere. Utah's bigger, stronger, faster, more talented. At BYU, I'm sure, is going to drop eight a lot on defense. And I think Utah can just maul them up front and run down. The Brewer can use his legs. They can hand it off and they can control the line of scrimmage. On the other side, they should be able to get pressure. They have some of the best linebackers and defensive linemen in all of college football. I think it could be a long day for Jaron Hall. I'm leaning Utah laying the seven. Thoughts? Yeah, I I mean, if I had to lay it, that's the, that's the side I would lay. This is a game that I power rate at 11. So Utah would definitely be the side, but I'm probably going to veer off and take an over in this game. Uh, Utah has the ability to have an explosive offense and big play percentage. Like I said, big play is rushes over 12 yards, passes over 15 yards, uh, almost everything Utah did. And I understand the competition from week one, but they have the ability to be one of the most explosive offenses west of the Mississippi River. Uh, and that is something that BYU is going to have to deal with from a defensive uh, perspective. But both of these teams were excellent in finishing drives. Once the offenses crossed the 40-yard line in week one, they were able to get points up on the board. Uh, Stuck makes a good point about Arizona. Arizona, I mean, that was really good on Arizona. I think Arizona is a play on team but, and a good call by our own Brett McMurphy. He was, I think he was calling Arizona well before uh, we even got around to week one. But uh, I think what's interesting is BYU wasn't ready for that because the tempo was insane. Uh, keep that in the back of your hat that Arizona's tempo was like 21 seconds per play. That, that shocked me a little bit, which is why I'm on an over with San Diego State as I watch it continue to fall off the opener 48. No, uh, <laughs> I can't believe I did it again, man. So anyways, I did it again. I like the over in this game. Uh, that, I might know, come in and bet the San Diego State over if it hits 44 and a half because I know that it, it'll end 45. I'd love to hit it again. Utah has the ability to have, an ex- have explosive plays. Uh, BYU's defense, uh, not expected to be able to contain that. That's why I do favor Utah on the side. Power rated at 11. Uh, it's a total that I make at 54. Uh, it, the number does look like it's going to probably should hit it here as we're talking because 49 has turned into 49 and a half in a few places. These teams are executing past the 40 yard line. Uh, and I think that bodes well for more points than usual in this kind of series. All right, let's move on to some FCS or no. There's quite a few FBS, FCS matchups this weekend. Let's hit on one or two of them. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FCS or no. I'll start. I'll mention two games. Last week, we got well. It's Tin Horn weekend for Alabama. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And they run through our ass like shit through a Tin Horn, man, and we could not stop them. Mercer will take on Alabama. I think Alabama's out there, fifty-four and a half, fifty-five. You'll see fifty-five point favorite. With a total but, of 60. <laughs> yeah, but Alabama didn't win 69 nothing. Nice. Last week. Uh, Alabama didn't run for 600 yards last week. Guess who did? Mercer. You know, everybody gets all excited about the beginning of the season. You know, you get excited about getting married. All right, but after you're married for a while, you know, you got to have a process to make it work. We need to have a process to make it work. And every game that we play, every game that we play. <sighs> Mercer ran all over. I don't even know they played. It just says POI. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Let's see. Mercer. I don't even know who they played. Who is this school? Oh, Point University. They beat Point, oh, Point. University. Oh, Point. That's right. Point University, 69-0. Uh, Point's a, a miserable, miserable program. They've won 12 total games since 2015. Mercer runs like a, a funky offense. You know, they have like – it's like a spread wing, and they have a, like a like a scat back, and they – you know, they have like motion all over the place, and then they try to – with like sweeps and jet sweeps, and they try to trick you and go over top. I think they might be able to put a drive or two together and get to like 13 or 14 late in the second half. When the starters, I mean, Bama has Florida on deck. Is the team total going to be like six? Don't ask. I know you would like to some kind of way extract something out of this pie that's not there. It's not there. I, I mean, you can get you can get like three hundred dollars down on these, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bet the Mercer team total over. Let's go more Alabama pain. The other game that I'm thinking about betting is Indiana, which is like a thirty-two and a half point favorite. They are playing Idaho. Do you know Idaho Idaho football did last week? I didn't even know they played until I was looking at this game. They won 68 nothing. Do you know who they beat? If you, you would have no idea. They beat Simon Frazier 68 nothing. Simon Frazier is a Canadian football team that was was practicing and plays Canadian football rules and has never played college football rules. That's who played Iowa last week. Oh my god. And Idaho won. I didn't see the score anywhere until I looked it up. But, yeah, the Vandals, who used to be FBS team. Petrino's still there, so, right? <laughs> yeah, Petrino's still there. He has a quarterback uh, competition. I was reading all about the Vandals. Yeah, they have a quarterback competition. One of these guys, Michael Michael Beaudry, who's he, he used to play on an FBS team. God, who did he play for? UConn, in 2019, he was the quarterback. That's who Idaho's rolling with. But this is a take out your frustration Indiana game. This is kind of like Nebraska. After Nebraska lost to Illinois, I would lay it. Idaho is miserable. Don't be fooled by the Simon Frazier score. Uh, anything you want to mention in FCS? Quick, I think I'm going to be on Georgia Tech. Insert laughing here. Uh, listen, embarrassing loss for Georgia Tech against Northern Illinois. Things are going downhill for the Jeff Collins era. We just said it the other day when we did the recap. And now they're running into a Kennesaw State team that if a lot of people look at the service on this and say, oh, my God. It's a Kennesaw State team that runs the triple option by Brian Bohannon, the coach that used to be tied to Paul Johnson's staff at Georgia Southern Navy. And you guessed it, he coached at Georgia Tech. And I bet Bohannon for Kennesaw State really wants to get some revenge here. Uh, and this should be a great spot for the Owls to go in and shake things up in, in Midtown Atlanta and head on down to Dan Tannis at the Bloody Mary Bar. And no. So, I mean, there are things happening with Kennesaw right now um, that are really not good. Practice-wise, uh, things are going bad. They Last week, they played an NAIA school, Reinhardt. Uh, they struggled. Uh, Reinhardt, NAIA Reinhardt has 24 scholarships, and they came within 10 points of beating Kennesaw State. Kept up, kept up with them the whole game. Bohannon mentioned that. that <laughs> Bohannon mentioned that they have a ton of struggles on offense. I, this is like the practice report from like today. Ton of struggles on offense. We're still missing assignments. We have 20 players that didn't play against Reinhardt last week, and they're not going to play against Georgia Tech. Listen, <laughs> this is not the Kennesaw State that we are used to, uh, you know, competing in the FCS playoffs, running the triple and confusing the shit out of people. This is a team that struggled with NAI. I can't even believe we were allowed, you know, teams in FCS are allowed to play teams at that level. So the number is floating around 17 and a half. It's already been moved on down. I don't think people are really looking between the lines on Kennesaw State here. This may be 
the stock dip on Georgia Tech where you can buy. And Jeff Sims is going to play. He is healthy enough to play in this game. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell everybody that it's pretty and that we should uh, enjoy this, but there is a dip in the stock that is the Yellow Jackets, and Kennesaw State is struggling to beat NAIA schools. So uh, Georgia Tech, we'll see where the number lands. Is this in a, in a, a weird way? Jeff Collins going for revenge against the Owls. No, no more owl gifts, only owls fading. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't disagree from what you read. And I, I saw that score um, with Kennesaw State. I didn't realize exactly do you know what who's going on. Do you know who's running scout team quarterback uh, for, for Georgia Tech this week? Uh, their defensive coordinator. So their defensive coordinator, Andrew Thacker, uh, he was actually on Bohannon's staff in 2016. And so Thacker like told the media in Atlanta this week, he said, I know exactly what Bohan, how Bohannon is going to coach his quarterback and how he's going to coach that offense with the triple option. So yes, he's not taking any hits, but the defensive coordinator is running scout team quarterback this week for Georgia tech. Uh, they're pretty serious about getting this win here. By the way, I keep in the back of my head all week. I, I'm like, oh, my God. I keep getting, like, shocked. Like, oh, my God, I bet USF. I just I thought about it again about South Florida against Florida. I am not looking forward to watching that game. But uh, if you're Oof. sweating with me, I'll be I'll be tweeting, trying to tweet through it. Um, all right. Before we get out of here, here's a quick word from our friends at WinBet, who have a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account in Indiana, New Jersey, Tennessee, Colorado, and Michigan and deposit 20 or more dollars can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Thousand dollars. It's probably more than Zaxby's is paying JT Daniels, who may not may not play this weekend. Check out Action Network app for more info there. So again, all you have to do is open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within ten days. That bet is risk free, up to a thousand dollars in eligible states to get started. Just click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be twenty one or older to gamble. No one to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. Thanks to our sponsors and friends at WinBet. All right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down. It's not a great week for weekday. There's nothing on Wednesday. There's nothing on Thursday. We do have some Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Give the people one bet and a one-minute explanation why. Uh, we're going to take UTEP Miners. Go Miner Nation. Miner to- Nation. We're talking Miner Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. Going up to Boise State, we're going to put the theory to test that I think that they can be an explosive offense, especially in passing downs. I think they can get it down the field. Uh, Boise State in the box score against UCF was absolute garbage 0.77 yards per play and running plays uh 28 success rate in passing downs i know it's ucf and this is a drop in competition and they're at home on the blue turf but we i've been saying for weeks that utep can pass the ball down the field the number should be 21 not 26 fair enough second down let's go to our money line underdog parlay Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Favorite Moneyline underdog this week. I'll start. I'm going Troy. I bet them early in the week, but then the app at plus five and a half. I make this line one. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. When I look at Liberty, they had a great year last year, but I was high on this Troy team coming into last year. They lost four games by one possession. They were right there in a bunch of games. They bring back 
you know, a lot of returning experience on both sides of the ball. They did lose a couple of receivers, but they upgraded a quarterback. They brought in, you know, last year you had Free and Gunnar Watson on and off. They were dealing with COVID last year too, quarterback injuries, but they brought in a Missouri transfer who is much more accurate, just a big upgrade as far as passing ability. The upside of this offense is great. The offensive line should be much better. They have two all Sunbelt performers. They bring back all five starters. The defense returns a ton of experience, brings in a couple transfers that should contribute. And when I look at this Liberty team, you know, what they do well on defense, they get after the quarterback and they can cover some. But I think this Troy team, they can protect, they are great at protecting the quarterback, their offensive line, efficient, quick passing attack can negate some of that. And you can run on this Liberty team. I think this Troy team, which wasn't good at running the ball last year, will be able to run the ball against Liberty. And when I look at this Liberty defense, look, they only allowed 20 points per game last year, a drop of eight points from 2019, despite losing seven starters. Dig into their numbers, though. I know they played three power five teams. They held NC State to 15 points, but, I mean, NC State had their backup quarterback. Look at the other teams they played. I mean, Vatech put up 35 on them. Coastal Carolina put up 38 on them. They have such misleading numbers. Here are the FBS teams they played. Think about these FBS offenses last year. Western Kentucky, they went out and got uh, adopted Houston Baptist's offense. That's how bad it was. Florida International, UL Monroe, never led for a second. Southern Miss, at seven coaches last year. And UMass, those were the FBS schools they played. The So that's five of their 10 regular season games. Oh, and they also played North Alabama and Western Carolina. So there's 70% of their games. And then one of the power five teams they played was Syracuse, who had an embarrassing offense. So I don't think this defense is as good as their numbers indicate. I think they're being inflated in the market. I'm also pretty high on Troy coming in the year. was a buy-on team for me. Uh, I like Troy. I think they win this game outright. Give me the men of Troy and the Trojans. How about you? Money on underdog? I like Troy, too. I took him uh, season win total over, so this is definitely one that we need to get. It's just not a lot of underdogs on this card. And there's a lot of small ones considering, you know, we, we didn't get the Moneyline parlay home last week with Fresno. They came close to cashing a big one. Felt like I may, might need to go a little bit smaller here. I, I don't think we have a clear power rating on South Carolina. We have Zeb Nolan coming in, throwing four touchdowns against Eastern Illinois, and we're rushing to beat a point spread of 43 and a half by getting 46 on the board. Did not allow a single point. Uh, I think the South Carolina defense legitimately put up good numbers in the box score. Uh, East Carolina has a shot here to win at home, plus two, take it on the money line. Holton Aylers is going to, the November Holton Aylers that we love to bet on is going to show up here against the South Carolina team that created zero havoc against Eastern Illinois. No tackles for loss. They didn't have any sacks. They didn't have, they didn't do anything to affect the play of Eastern Illinois. So, you know, that's going to be a problem against an Eastern Carolina team that generally folds against teams that can cause havoc. If you can't bring that, then the Pirates have a shot to beat you outright, and I'll take them at home in Greenville as a, as a two-point dog. Don't want the points. Let's do it on money line. And maybe South Carolina gets caught looking ahead a little bit to Georgia next week Yep, uh, as well. All right. Uh, and before we get to third down, favorite overdog. For those not familiar with the inside joke on the podcast, that's our favorite favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. I'm going to go Iowa State. We already talked about it. Clones. Yeah. You in the greats? 100%. I mean, Iowa State's probably going to be the anchor that we talk about in our Moneyline Round Robin when we do our Saturday morning program. You know, there's so many bad games. on. There's some games on the slate like Temple and Akron where I really wanted to kind of get into that. You're not taking Akron. 
No, no, no. Iowa State it is. Clean sweep. I'm not you're you're staring at that. I'm not even letting you put it out into right. I'm, I'm not letting you put it out of the universe. Don't don't say it. You're not laying seven with Temple. Not letting I, you. No, I'm not gonna lay seven with Temple, but I will say that keep your eyes on Georgia. Uh I, I know what the spot is. I know that they just played the game of their life. And uh, but at the same time, they didn't score any offensive touchdowns. This number should be above 24. Uh, the opener of 28, I thought was pretty bad. I played it on the action app. So my favorite overdog, even if JT Daniels isn't there, Stetson Bennett has plenty of experience and we haven't identified, you know, who the four to six players are that have COVID, but assuming the offensive line is there, assuming those running backs are there, uh, UAB is a team that has folded against power five teams against the spread. Tennessee and Texas A&M come to mind. There's a couple others, like without looking at the schedule from previous years, Bill Clark does not cover big spreads against power five schools. He dominates G five schools against the spread, but this isn't that spot. And I think you're going to get value. The more this bad news comes out about J if JT Daniels doesn't play, that's going to affect the spread, uh, but they have an experienced quarterback. Uh, I think my favorite overdog is going to be Georgia. I, the spot, you know, after the game against Clemson, remember they didn't score an offensive touchdown. They got to get off the schneid here and get some, get some points on the board, but, and they can definitely do that with their backfield and they don't even need to throw it deep uh, to do that against UAB. So Give me Georgia as my favorite overdog. That under is calling my name. I know it's probably a square look, but those UAB doesn't cover against these power five schools, and the games always go over. It's like yep, like thirty-four to seven. All right, before we get out of here, third down, our favorite bet of the weekend. Uh, I'm going to go with a team in your backyard, Tulsa <laughs> Golden Hurricane. First half plus seven against Oklahoma State couple things to keep in mind here. Tulsa, obviously, embarrassing loss last week against UC Davis. They lost to this Oklahoma State team last year 16-7. to They actually were leading 7-3 to in the fourth quarter of that game. They Tulsa's – you know, so they're out for some revenge here against Big Brother in, in their state. They're coming off a loss against an FCS team last week. Now, they had a bunch of guys suspended who were all going to be back this week. I expect them to come out – with their hair on fire. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State, just a disastrous game last week against Missouri State. Now, Spencer Sanders didn't play. I expect him to play, but he might not. If he doesn't, great. The offensive line, which lost Tevin Jenkins to the NFL, was horrendous. Horrendous. They couldn't get anything going on the ground against Missouri State. We'll almost beat them. So I have major questions about this Oklahoma State offense. And on the other side of the ball, look, they lost – their star defensive end, Ford, for the year. Trey Sterling, one of the best safeties in the country, won't play in the first half. Uh, another reason for betting the first half here uh, because of a targeting call. So I think Tulsa really comes out here and battles. I think the line is a little too high. The uncertainty of Spencer Sanders, who you know hasn't been practicing on the COVID list, only adds to my confidence here. But I think you get a max effort from Tulsa. Uh, I love the spot. I love the situation. I have lots of questions about this Oklahoma State offensive line in particular. I think Tulsa can have a lot of success there. They get all their suspended guys back. I think this line is a little inflated. I'll take the first half thinking that Tulsa really comes out with their hair on fire here after what happened last week. It doesn't hurt that Oklahoma State won't have one of its best defenders in the first half as well. So give me Tulsa plus seven first half. What do you got favorite bet? 
Yeah, favorite bet. Let's stick with the biggest game of the day. It's going to be Oregon, Ohio State. We're going to take under 64. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey for Oregon playing at a 9 a.m. Pacific Coast time. They do not have the explosiveness to hanging with this Ohio State team whatsoever. Ohio State has the ability to push the ball on the ground against this Oregon defense, who is not a good rush defense whatsoever. They specialize in passing downs and getting pressure from the edge. I do like Ohio State to win this game. I expect them to cover. There will be a backdoor opportunity, but it should be low scoring because once Ryan Day has a 21 to 28 point lead, this is not an Oregon defense that is built to stop the rush. Ohio State can essentially sit on the ball. So give me the under 64 in Columbus in a game where I expect Ohio State to absolutely come out, explosive plays, uh, get everybody's attention, and then just shut down this Oregon offense, which is not built to go four verticals and attack this Ohio State defense, which is the only way to beat the Buckeyes. I like it. Make sure that you check out all of our stuff on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app. Also, our live show, we gave up nothing but winners last week. Hopefully we can do it again <laughs> this week, uh, except me trying to give out Miami. I'll eat my crow on Saturday morning on uh, – the Big Bets on Campus live show at 10 a.m. Check us out, Brett McMurphy. Thanks, as always, to Colin. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Big Bets on Campus podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll do our recap show. It'll be out on Monday morning. It was out Tuesday this week. There'll always be out Mondays moving forward. We'll recap the weekend. We'll talk about any weekday college football. We'll play your voicemails. Don't forget about the voicemails. 959-BAD-BEATS. 959 Bad Beats. I'll tweet it out all weekend. Make sure you call. But we'll be back on Monday. We'll also do some giveaways, so make sure you leave some reviews on the app. We got some good ones over the past week, so I appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Let's have a big weekend and keep it rolling. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.